0: Chapter 41 of Cripps the Carrier by Richard Doddridge Blackmore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 41 Reason and Unreason. When things were in this very ticklish condition almost everywhere, and even Cripps himself could scarcely sleep because of rumors, and Dobbin in his own clean stable found the flies too many for him, an exceedingly active man set out to scour the whole of the neighbourhood to the large and vigorous mind of the reverend thomas hardenow the worst of all sins because the most tempting and universal was indolence Hardnow never condemned a poor man for having his pint or his quart of ale with his better half to help him when he had earned it by a hard day's work and he had fed his children likewise now thought it not easy to find any hypocrisy more bald or any morality more cheap than that or those which strut about reviling the poor man for taking in the cheaper liquid form the nourishment which his betters can afford to have in the shape of meat and then are not content with it unless it is curdled with some duly sour vintage and passing such crucial points of debate hard now always could make allowance for any sins rather than those which spring from a treacherous sneaking and lying essence now a council was held at the grange of shotover on the monday a sad and melancholy house it was with its fine old mistress lately buried and its poor young master only half recovered the young tutor had been especially invited and having heard everything from the squire who was proud of having ridden so far yet broke down ridiculously among his boasts and from russell overshute who had thrown himself back for at least three days by excitement and exertion yesterday and also from mrs fermitage who had lately been feeling herself overlooked Hardnow thought for some little time before he would give his opinion not that he was by any manner of means possessed with the greatness of his own ideas but that mrs fermitage from a low velvet chair looked up at him with such emphatic inquiry and implicit faith that he was quite in a difficulty how to speak or what to say and so he said a very few short words of sympathy and of kindness and gladly offered to do his best and obey the orders given him so far at least as his duty to his college and pupils permitted he confessed that he had thought of this matter many times before he was invited to do so and without the knowledge which he now possessed or the special interest in the subject which he now must feel for the sake of russell but mrs fermitage filled with respect for the wisdom of a fellow and tutor of a college would not let hardenow thus escape and being compelled to give his opinion he did so with his usual clearness i am not at all a man of the world he said and of the law I know nothing. My friend Russell is the man of the world, and knows a good deal of the law as well. A word from him is worth many of mine. But if Mrs. Fermitage insists upon having my crude ideas, they are these, first of the first, and by far the most important. I believe that Miss Oglander is alive, and that her father will receive her safe and sound, though not perhaps still Miss Oglander god bless you my dear sir the squire broke in getting up to lay hold of the young man's hand i don't care a straw for what her name may be snooks or snobs or higginbotham if i only get sight of my darling child again russell overshute looked rather queer at this and so did mrs fermitage but the squire continued in the same sort of way what odds about her name if it only is my grace exactly so "'replied Hardenow, "'That natural feeling of yours perhaps has been foreseen "'and counted on, "'and that may be why such trouble was taken "'to terrify you with the idea of her death. "'Also, of course, that would paralyze your search, "'while the villains are at leisure to complete their work. "'I declare, I never thought of that,' cried Russell. "'How extremely thick-headed of me! "'That theory accounts for a number of things "'that cannot be otherwise explained.' What a head you have got, my dear Tom, to be sure. I wish I could believe it, Mr. Oglander exclaimed, whilst his sister clasped her fair fat hands and looked with amazement at every one. But I see no motive, no motive whatever. My Grace was a dear good girl, as everybody knows, and a fortune in herself, but of worldly goods she had very little, any more than I have, and her prospects were naturally contingent. "'Contingent upon many things, which may not come to pass, I hope, for many years, if they ever do.' "'Here looked his sister, and she said, "'I hope so. Therefore,' continued Mr. Oglander, "'while there are so many fine girls in the country very much better worth carrying off, so far as mere worthless pelf is concerned, why should anybody steal my grace unless they stole her for her own sake?' Here the squire sat down, and took to drumming with his stick. His feelings were hurt at the idea, though it was so entirely of his own origination, that his daughter had been carried off for the sake of her money, not of her own dear self. Hardenow looked at him and made no answer. He felt that it did not behoove a mere stranger to ask about a young lady's expectations, while Overshoot was more imperatively silenced by his relations towards the family but mrs fermitage came to the rescue great was her faith in the value of money and she liked to have it known that she had plenty tut tut she cried shaking out her new brocaded silk a morning dress certainly but softly trimmed with purple why should we make any mystery of things when the truth is most important and the truth is mr hardenow that my dear niece had very good expectations my deeply lamented husband respected and i may say reverenced for upwards of half a century in every college of oxford and even more so by the corporation for the pure integrity of his character the loftiness of his principles and-and the substance of his what, what they make the wine of he was not the man mr hardenow to leave a devoted wife behind him had stepped perhaps out of her rank a little not being of commercial birth you know but never found cause to regret it without some provision for the earthly time which she being many years his junior come come joan not so very many exclaimed the truthful squire about five or six at the utmost you were born on the twenty fifth of june a d worth i was not asking you for statistics Mr. Hardenow, you will excuse my brother. He has always had a rude style of interruption. He learned it, I believe, in the army, and we always made allowance for it. But to go back to what I was saying, my good and ever-to-be-lamented husband, being, let us say, ten years, my senior, worth will that content you, left every farthing of his property to me, and a good husband always does the same thing, I am told, and I believe they are ordered in the bible and of course i have no one to leave it to but grace and being so extraordinarily advanced in years as my dear brother has impressed upon you they could not have any very long time to wait and my desire is to do my duty and perhaps that lies at the bottom of it all after relieving her mind in this succinct yet copious manner the good lady went into her chair again carefully directing in whatever state of mind the gathering and the falling of her dress aright and though it might be fancied that her colour had been high anybody now could see that her dignity had conquered it now the whole of this goes for next to nothing said the squire while the young men looked at one another and longed to be out of the way of it as we have got into the subject let us go right down to the bottom of it what are filthy pence and halfpence, or a cellar, like Balax, of silver and gold, when compared with the life of one pure dear soul? I may not express myself theologically, but you can see what I mean exactly. I mean that I would kick out old port wine's dross to the bottom of the Red Sea, where Pharaoh lies, if it turns out that that has killed my child, or made her this long time dead to me having justified his feelings thus the old man stood up and went to the window to look for his horse the very last thing he desired always was to let out what he felt too much but to hear that old thief of a port wine fermitage praised and his lucre put forward quite as if it were an equivalent for grace and to think that he owed to that filthy cause the loss of the liveliest loveliest darling without whom he had neither life nor love such things were enough to break the balance of his patience and the rest might think them out amongst them now this might have made a very serious to-do between mr oglander and his sister joan both of them being of the stiff-necked order if he had been allowed to ride away like this mrs fermitage had her great carriage in the yard and two black horses with wide valleys down their backs rattling rings of the brightest brass while they stood in the stable with a bale between them and gently deigned to blow the chaff off from the oats of shotover this goodly pair made a great rush now into the mind of their mistress the only sort of rush they ever made and seeing her brother in that state of mind to get away from her she became inspired with an equal desire to get away from him will you kindly ring the bell she said and order my horses to be put to i think i have quite said every word i had to say and being the only lady present, of course, I labour under some, well, some little disadvantages. Not, of course, that I mean for a moment. To be sure not, Joan, you never do know what you mean. You would be a very nasty woman if you did. Now do let us turn our minds to the pleasant way of everything. If any word has come from me to lead to strong kind of argument, I beg pardon of everybody, and then there ought to be an end of it. Mrs. Firmishes scarcely knew what to say, but in a relenting way looked round for someone to take it up for her, and she was not long without somebody. Mr. Oglander, said Russell Overshoot, you really ought to give us time to think. You are growing so hasty, sir, since you came back to your seat in the saddle, and your cross-country ways that you want to ride over every one of us, ladies and gentlemen all alike, the old squire laughed. He could not help it at the thought of his own effrontery he felt that there might be some truth about it ever since it had come into his mind that he might not after all be childless he would not have any one know for a thousand pounds why he was laughing or that half another word might turn it into weeping he had seen it proved in learned books that no man knew the way to weep at his time of life and if his own case went against it he had the manners to be ashamed of it so he waited till he felt that his face was right and then he went up to his sister joan who was growing uneasy about her own words and he took her two plump hands in his and gave a glance for all there present to be welcome witnesses and then having knowledge for the last ten years how much too fat she was to lift he managed to kiss her in the two right places disarranging nothing his sister looked up at him as soon as he had done it with a sense of his propriety and study of her harmonies and she whispered to him quietly i beg you pardon brother and he spoke up for all to hear him joan my dear i beg your pardon now the first thing to be done said Hardnow, is to find cinnaminta and her husband smith but allow me to make one important request that even your adviser mr luke sharp shall not be informed of what has passed to-day, or that Overshoot found out yesterday. With some little surprise they agreed to this. End of chapter 41